Good morning. I want to start with a story that I read out of Luke 24 about two weeks ago. And it's right after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And he appears to, he appears to the ladies and he appears on the road to Emmaus to the two men that are walking. He goes to their home and when he breaks bread, they know who he is. But back in Jerusalem, gathered in a room with the door locked tight, are the disciples. And they are, they're back here in this room, and they're there because they're scared. They're, they're confused, they don't know what's going on, and they're, they're very alarmed. And the ladies even came to them and said, look, Jesus arose and he appeared, and Scripture says it appeared to them as idle tales. So we've got at least 11 men locked in a room who have been told about the resurrection, and it's, it's idle tales. They're not going to let themselves believe it. And so they're gathered there, and the men from Emmaus come back and tell them, look, it really is true. Jesus was with us, and they started talking about it. And so into this gathering, back here in a group of very scared men, Jesus is standing right in the middle. And what struck me in the story is, what did Jesus say first? is the very first word that he says to them in any of the accounts after the resurrection? Well, a little different when he's in the garden, but when he appears in the room, what does he say? Peace be unto you. And for some reason, that just gripped me a couple weeks ago that the first thing Jesus said is peace be unto you. And there is a little bit of it that's cultural, that this would have been a, a standard greeting, that peace be unto you. But the first thing he says is peace be unto you. And, and then he says, why are you so scared? And why are you still doubting? And he said, if you're still dealing with that, I want to show you my hands and my side. And so he takes time to show them his hands and his side. And then they, they couldn't believe it, but it was a little bit different. They were so overwhelmed with joy that it's just one of those moments where it just couldn't sink in. And he says, give me something to eat. And he eats in front of them. And it was just striking to me that Jesus came and what he wanted them to know is, I have peace and I'm giving it to you. And I know what you're scared of. I know what causes you to doubt. And I want to to deal with those things. And so he shows them his hands and his side. So today I'd like to look at at the idea of peace. And I want to, I'd like it to be a little bit of a discussion uh, at at different points along the way uh, as we go through this. But when you think about peace, how do you define what it is? And it often is defined most by what it is not. So when you talk about peace, you hear that it is the absence of war. And that's kind of the big example, but it's the absence of conflict, essentially, that there's not conflict going on. And if you want to define peace this way, we as humans are doing a pretty wretched job. Um, John MacArthur, and I didn't double check him, but he had said that up until World War II, there was about two and a half wars per year. Since World War II, there's been three per year. And I also read a study uh, from a a group over in London that was talking, they took the 3,000 years of of human history, and how many years out of that do you think there was a war? Less than 300 years out of 3,000 was there no war. They said roughly about 8% of the years have no record of war. And from their study, they came across 8,000 peace treaties that were made, put in place, and broken. 
So if we're going to define peace as the absence of conflict, uh, we have a pretty big problem. The other way it's often defined is just the absence of anxiety and fear and worry. And I think that probably strikes closer to home for us that this definition, you know, peace can be the absence of feeling afraid or, or worried. One of the things I found interesting in, in getting ready for this, um, and this I think was out of the Huffington Post, there is a guy in the US that studies, uh, he's studied these things for a long time, and he's saying about 50% of all of the office visits to a doctor in the US are directly related to stress and anxiety. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying that Christians should never feel those things. Don't ever hear me saying that. But when it comes to peace, if we want to define it as the absence of stress, then we also have a problem. Because that's not, uh, that really is not, we're not doing too well on, by that definition. Um, so just thinking a little bit about peace, um, you know, it is often easier to say what it's not. You know, it's not chaos or you know what it is that upsets your peace. Um, if you're in a room with lots of loud noise, you know, it's, it's easy to say it's not that, but it is this. So I want to just think a little bit about um, what does God say that his peace is? So I'm going to look at four areas that God says his peace is. And then I want to talk about a little bit how do we, how do we experience that? Uh, and then also what his peace is not. Um, so our outline for this morning is going to be pretty directly out of John 14, verse 27. I'll read the first uh, 25 through 27. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the peace of God. The first part of the verse, what he's giving to us. Second part of the verse says, not as the world gives. And so I'd like to say, let's spend some time. This is what God's peace is, and what does the world have to offer? And then at the end, a little bit of time talking about how do we not let our heart be troubled? Because I'm guessing that if I... I ask you, probably everybody here in the last week or the last month is dealing with something that is just hard to feel peace about. Can anybody else relate to going through situations that it's hard to feel a lot of peace? I can. And that's probably why I'm drawn, drawn to this of just, again, realizing the gift of God's peace and how much I need that and wanting to grow in that. So... Let's spend a little bit of time, again, looking at what God's peace is, comparing that to the world, and then how to live in it. So we're going to pop up a slide like this that talks about what God's peace is, and then we're going to, to highlight the words in yellow, not as the world gives, and I'd like a little bit of discussion on if God's peace is different than the world's, how is it different, and what does the world offer? All right, so let's, uh, we're going to look at, at some scriptures to identify the first area of peace, of what God's peace is, and that is the idea that it's, it is peace with God, or a relationship with God, and this is Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejo rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So by faith, we are given a peace with God the Father. 
I'm going to look at a couple other scriptures before we discuss it more. And it's easy to read over that and just to think that you know, God, has, God has restored us and, and made us right and forget how, how out of peace we were with God. And Colossians remind us, reminds us of that. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And I want us to, to hear these verses of, what, of our position and what God did to bring us into peace. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So when, when Jesus brings us into peace with him, the words there are that we're alienated, we're hostile, and we're doing evil deeds. And he, he by his death and resurrection, brings us into peace, and then he makes us, the words are holy, blameless, and above reproach. One of the things that I need to be reminded of, or I just want to keep in front of us when we think about God's peace, is what it cost him to give it to us. And this is out of Isaiah 53. I'd like to just read uh, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So our peace cost Jesus his very life. He had to be willing to suffer and to die. Um, The words in verse 5 are piercing, crushing, chastisement, and wounded. All of that to bring us peace and to bring us a healing um, with God. So as I look at what God's peace is, the first thing I want us to see is that God's peace that he gives us is a relationship with God. So before we had none, we were completely disconnected, we were dead, and through the death and resurrection of Christ, we're brought into relationship with God. So I'd like to think about that uh, a little bit and also open it up. So that is the gift of God's peace, is a relationship with God, and what does the world have to offer on that front? So let's just hear a little bit of discussion. This one probably will be the hardest one to, to think through. But as you think about God's peace, is there some element of being in relationship with him that stands out to you? Or what does the world have to offer anybody when it comes to relationship with God? Because Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace, not in the way the world does. I'm not going to give that kind of peace. So what are, what are your thoughts or comments? last year and the whole outbreak of the pandemic. And mm-hmm. so the way to bring a little more peace to the situation was to alienate people. To bring a little peace by alienating people that didn't agree with you possibly and well, or to, to, to spread the... <clears throat> spreading people out, um, you know, really, really focusing on social distancing. And I'm okay, got it, yeah. Okay, so Mary's thinking back on this last year of controlling the chaos and the the threat or the danger was to alienate and to to isolate. 
And that's a theme that we'll see running through um, is the world will grasp at peace through isolation, basically, is what it often comes down to. Yeah, thank you, Mary. Any other comment on the gift of having a relationship with God or what the world can or can't offer on this front? relationship with God that does, it goes vertical and then it does quickly reach to people around us, which is opposite of what the world often tries. Apparently there is some kind of inner desire for relationship with God, so there's all these other religions Mm -hmm. as well that try to fill that void, and maybe the biggest religion is that of self. Mm -hmm. There's an inner desire for peace with God, and Dave's pointing out all the other religions and other ways to try to grasp at that. So John's saying, instead of alienation, you're welcome into the peace of God. Yeah, think about the Sunday school lesson with Cornelius, and you had a Roman and a Jew, and they're, they're welcomed into the household of God and built into a church. One of the things that has been helpful for me to think through uh, the whole thing of the, having a relationship with God, and as Timothy Keller points out, that there are, there are basically people handle a relationship with God in one of three ways. And one is obviously to come on his terms, accept Christ, and to be a believer. And if you're not going to do that, but you recognize God, then you're going to have to come up with your own terms to get to God in your mind. And so that's where Dave mentioned the other religions. You have all of the other religions, or even if you want to try to say, you know, there is a God, but I'm going to bank on my own works. So you either come on his terms or create your own terms or you're forced to say, I don't think there is a God. And, and I really, that has been so helpful for me in, in thinking about relating to people, that that's where people are going with this need for peace, is either they're trying to climb their way on their own or just say, it doesn't exist. And we have so much hope to offer them in Christ that God is real. He's, a, he's revealed himself in the Bible. He's paid the price of our sins, and, and we can know him. And we can come to him on his terms, and it's a gift. So, so Christ has left his peace with us, and it, it, one way that that is shown is a relationship with God. Uh, Daryl went right into point two. He said that it flows out vertically. And so I want to look at some scriptures in that, or horizontally. I want to look at some scriptures related to that and then talk about that a bit as well. And this, I want you just, just to be aware of these scriptures. It's a little bit long. I won't read all of it. But it, it is talking about how, how much enmity there was between Jews and Gentiles. And for those of us that weren't born Jewish, I mean, we were, we were, not, we were born outside of God's people. Um, we were alienated and, and outside, of the, outside of the promise. But then I do want us to just catch these verses here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, 
who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So it's talking again about the peace with God, but also then the things that fight against peace between people are broken down and were brought into one body. And then he goes on to point out that this is all gone. And in the church, any, no matter background, we're all brought together and we're being built into, into God's household. And we're being built up. And literally, the end of it in verse 22 is a place that God's spirit will live in us as a church. So God's peace does... Um, does affect relationships. Um, if you think about the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were placed there in a, in a great relationship. And then as soon as sin came in, you had blame and mistrust and hiding from each other, all of these things that then that impact our relationships. And Jesus' peace does help that come together where there's openness and a meaningful relationship. A few other verses here, again, a won't read all of this, but you know, looking in verse 11, how in God's household we're all brought together. But then look at how important relationships are, verses 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And remember these verses, because we will come back to this later on. And the end of this chapter outlines how wives and husbands relate and slaves. And do you think God cares about relationships and wants them to flow, to, to be a blessing and not something that results in isolation? He certainly does. Uh, just a couple more verses about peace and, and relationship. Uh, just the end of this in Romans 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. So God puts a, a premium on us living at peace with each other, uh, doing our part of it. Uh, going on in Romans 14, he sums up a passage on dealing with hard issues. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So... The language here speaks of peace not always being something that just naturally happens. God makes it possible, but we're called to pursue it, to chase after it, uh, to go after peace with people. So when it comes to what God's peace is, the second thing I'd like us to notice is that it is one, relationship with God, and two, God's peace results in connection with others. God's peace results in connection with others. And again, let's highlight what the world has to offer here, and let's talk about this a little bit. Um, are there things that stand out to you in, in how you've experienced God's peace related to others? And let's compare a little bit. What does the world have to offer when it comes to relating at peace with others in relationship? And in all of this, let's be asking God, where are we at uh, as far as experiencing his peace in, in these areas? So any comments on, uh, on the side of what, what Jesus gives us or what the world offers?
mm -hmm. the world does that and try to bring people together, but yet there's a lot of negative mm -hmm. happening. Yeah. Good point. So a lot of avenues to connect, but that does not necessarily equal good, healthy, positive connection. Yeah, if it, was, if it was just a matter of not having opportunity, the world should be the most peaceful place now that it's ever been because you can literally connect with almost anybody at any point. So real connection has to come out of the heart and not just the tools for getting it, for being able to communicate. Yeah, good thought. Anybody else have, have something you want to add on, on this? You can manipulate it to look instead of dealing with the nitty-gritty of relating to real hearts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that type of communication allows you to, Mary used the word curate, it's a good word, to, to block out, to pick. Um, and you really can isolate yourself to one, one viewpoint if you want it to. Yeah, and just thinking as opposed to what God does, he puts people in families that stay together for life. He puts people in churches where, I mean, yes, we're here of free will, but we're here to, to relate and to help each other. Um, and that doesn't look like, well, you know, I'm just going to pick this group and block everybody else out. A couple of things that I was thinking related to this in, you know, in the world, uh, you can't connect without trust. And so there's so much effort to protect yourself when it comes to relationships in the world. And there's so much... Um, agreements, you know, where I'll do this if you do that for me. There's just, you know, it's, it really comes down to protecting yourself compared to Colossians 1. Be tenderhearted, be kind, forgive each other. Like, it's just an abundant pouring out for each other as opposed to, well, I'm going to do this if you do it. Um, and that never, never, ever works in the long run. I think about it with, you know, with business, how how much wasted time there is because you can't trust people. I mean, you've got to write up contracts and, you know, monitor all of this stuff that truly, if everybody was trustworthy, you would spend so much less time and money on it. But anyway, that's a whole different topic. We won't go down that bunny trail. Anybody just about to say something else before we look at the third thing that God's peace does? Okay, let's look at a few more scriptures and... Uh, and we'll talk about it. And this, the third thing has the idea, and this I think is what we most often think of in peace, is just the feeling of, of calm or the lack of anxiety, as it were, in our heart. Um, and so I want to just look at that just on a personal level. Um, what does that peace look like? Isaiah 32 gives us a picture. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. I love this, these verses because it reminds me that God's righteousness actually does produce peace and it brings a, just a quiet settledness. Um, and it, it all has to flow out of trusting God. I hope, and I hope that becomes very clear, that anytime we talk about peace, you just cannot separate it from the idea of trusting God. It, it, it almost is, it's almost like it's the same thing. 
If it's not the same thing, it's at least the doorway to peace comes through trusting God. At least that's what I've found to be true. Another one, uh, a couple verses out of Isaiah 26. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The idea of, of the mind being stayed is just, it's, it's what you're leaning on or where you're, what you're, what's holding you up. So if, if our mind is stayed on God, out of that trust, he does gift us peace. Psalm 4, a verse here says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And just you know, thinking about peace on a personal level, I, I love so much about this verse. It helps me to, to see it um, for what it is. But one, if one of the first things I want us to notice is that peace is in Christ. It is in Jesus and nowhere else. So in me, you're going to have peace. But in the world, you're going to have tribulation. And tribulation, if you want to look at the word, the two words that are kind of at the root, it means pressure and when you get crowded in, when you get squished in, basically. Can anybody else relate to having pressure or feeling like you know, life or any other situation is just, it's just getting too close and it, you, you get kind of almost claustrophobic. It's, it's pressuring in on you. So Jesus is saying, you will have tribulation. And that does not mean that you don't have peace. Somehow peace and that, that external pressure is, is two different things. But he says, take heart that I have overcome the world. And so looking around at the world and the things that are pressuring us, we can know that Jesus has overcome them. It's not up to us to overcome them to then get peace. So we can live out of peace knowing that Jesus has overcome it and live in his peace. So I put down a calmness in spirit, and this is way too big of a topic to nail down the calmness of spirit, but hopefully you at least get a little bit what I'm trying to say, that internally that we can feel God's strength basically meeting the pressures that are pushing down on us. So some, does someone have anything to share on maybe how you've experienced this or something that stands out on what does God's internal peace and tribulation look like to you? And then also, um, how does that differ from what the world offers you? The world offers you drugs to calm you down. You know, I, I, where my mind went with that, um, and, and even studying this, is you know, look at the huge rise in marijuana and CBD. And, I mean, that, that literally is a lot of what it is, is needing something to just try to calm down the anxiety. So, I, I don't know, did you have other thoughts of that, Walter? But, yeah, you, I mean, you look around, and it's, you know, that whole arena of, of vaping and all of that stuff is exploding, and I think it is... It's more a symptom of not having peace than it is that those things are, are so attractive. Yeah. Yes, William? The, the Lord gives me my family every day. I wake up and thank each of them and roll the same way together. That gives me a calmness in spirit. Uh, that gives me a calmness in spirit so that I have a faithful church to attend. Uh, the world, on the other hand, gives you your security and money, mm -hmm. and so, and so, and so, and so. Mm -hmm. yeah 
The world looks for peace in things that sadly don't last. Um, John? Yeah. So again, it's internal, not external. <clears throat> I was also thinking about how, you know, even the insurance industry, I mean, at this point, you know, we have, there's health insurance and life insurance and vehicle insurance and pet insurance. And I mean, it, it, it you know, for your items, it never ends. And it, it really is kind of trying to protect yourself, keep yourself from having risk of anything being taken from you. And there's not anything wrong with having insurance, but if you're chasing all those things for peace, it's not, it's not where it's at. All right, any other thoughts on this before we look at the fourth one? Thank you for being willing to discuss these things. All right, let's go on. And this is one, uh, a concept that has just become very meaningful to me, and that is the word in the Old Testament for peace is shalom. And I will just read this. This is coming from Jews for Jesus. And again, and we could spend all morning here, we won't. But it, peace is so much more than the, than the absence of things. So the ancient Hebrew concept of peace rooted in the word shalom meant wholeness, completeness, soundness, health, safety, and prosperity, carrying with it the implication of permanence. And so it's not saying that we won't ever go through hard times, but it has the idea that God will give us what we need to live a healthy life, regardless of what we face, and that that relationship is permanent. It's not something that can be taken away. So I, I love that concept. It is all through the Old Testament uh, when you read the word peace. I thought of number six and as an example of what this means. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So shalom is just God smiling and, and just his favor is resting on us. Um, and so, again, peace is not just the absence of things, but it's God's blessing and wholeness in our life. Uh, Psalm 29 talks about God blessing us with peace. So the fourth thing I just defined as a wholeness in life or a shalom, that that is what God's peace offers us, is a wholeness in life and shalom. I'll open it up for this. I know this is all very related to things we just talked about, but anything that stands out to you in this before we shift and just end a little bit in, in how do we live in God's peace. If you want a picture of shalom, uh, my mind goes to Adam and Eve in the garden pre-sin. And that, I believe, is a picture of what shalom looks like, a right relationship with God, living out your purpose, working with God um, in a good relationship. Okay, let's, uh, let's go on and talk just a little bit about how do we live in this peace. John 14, I read the verse already, but one of the things that, that always stands out to me or convicts me in this is God says that we are to, to let not your heart be troubled and neither let them be afraid. And I want to be very clear. This doesn't mean we don't feel these things. One chapter earlier than this, this is Jesus himself, and he's saying, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. It's the exact same word as let not your heart be troubled. So there are just many things in life that trouble us, and rightfully so, but God's invitation is that we don't have to allow it to perpetually keep us, um, as it were, in a troubled state. So we're to not let our heart be troubled and to not let them be afraid. And I know that 
way too often in my life, I have allowed my heart to be troubled or afraid and not, you know, why is it? And, and really sought God on, on where it's coming from. So I do want to encourage you, if, you're, if you find yourself not feeling peace, I don't have the answer. I don't mean to make it sound easy because it is not. But God does tell us that somehow he will give us a way to deal with it because we don't want to allow our heart to stay there. Um, so I want to, uh, Colossians 3, I said to remember all of this where Jesus is ta- or God is talking about relationship. I didn't read verse 15. The very next verse here, thinking about living out God's peace. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. So God's peace is meant to rule in our heart, and it's saying that God's peace is why we're called. We're called to it in one body. And the word for ruling, I think, is kind of a fun word. It just literally, it's, it's the idea of umpiring. And that that is, you know, if somebody is going to determine what's right and wrong and what happens, that it's God's peace that is meant to determine um, and to rule and to reign in our heart. So we are called to let God's peace umpire our heart. Um, and just thinking through, you know, coming to decision points in life and how grateful I am that God's peace can be one of the things that he uses to guide us. And, and just more recently walking through, you know, making decisions about things and having things turn out in ways I would have never even predicted that where they would land, thankful that God's peace was there to guide us forward. Um, So we are to let God's peace rule and to direct us. And I think one of the things I will just say about God's peace, often I can be indecisive and get stuck on things. And often what I've really wanted is I wanted God's peace to fill my heart and then for me to make a decision. And often I'm becoming more and more convinced that that happens in reverse, that we start following God we go for it, and God's peace affirms and redirects us. And so I just want to encourage you to, to go forward in faith and boldly, knowing that God's peace will rule and direct your heart if we allow him to. Um, there's always the analogy of you can't steer a parked car, that you can turn a steering wheel all you want, and it has no effect unless the car is moving. And I do think there's an element of that when it comes to experiencing God's peace, that it's meant to be experienced as we go forward in faith and trust, God will will fill us with peace. Again, that could be a whole other topic. I don't want us to get take that to extreme, but I'm saying that I feel that God is, is causing me to grow in that. Okay, and the last one I want to look at here in Philippians 4 about God's peace. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So a command, an invitation to to bring all of our requests to God, uh, to let them be known with thanksgiving. And the promise is that God's peace which is greater than our understanding, is going to guard our hearts and minds. And so if you think about problems that take my peace, it's when I'm thinking and thinking and thinking, and I can't solve them, that leaves me feeling a lack of peace. And God is saying that his peace is actually greater than anything I could ever think up anyway. 
that his peace will is so much it's it's so much bigger than anything we can think of and it's going to guard our hearts and our minds so it guards both my emotions and my thoughts and i'm so thankful for that that god's peace can do that and if if you throw the word guard in there it's obviously fighting against something it doesn't sound real peaceful right if you're going to say that peace is just the absence of conflict you wouldn't use that word and it, it literally is the idea of a, a citadel or an outpost. So God's peace is positioned right there to guard against the things that are trying to take his peace uh, from us and will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So very thankful for God's peace. Uh, in summary, just want to remind us that God's peace is a relationship with God, connection with others, a calmness in spirit, and a wholeness in life, or shalom. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And if we look around, there's all, yeah, like I said, there's all these reasons to not feel peace. And so I just want to have us spend some time uh, seeking God and seeking his peace for the things that you might be facing and just asking God, you know, if there's a certain area of this where you need his peace, um, let's ask God for it. I know that I need his peace. I need to grow in it. Um, so I want to just, I want to close by having a little bit of time of prayer. Um, and I know that this might take courage and not leave you feeling very peaceful. But if somebody is facing a situation where you want the church to pray for you, I will open it up and we can pray and ask God's peace for that. Um, and then when we come to, to prayer, I'll, you can close your eyes and if you just want to raise your hand, say, I need God's peace, but I didn't want to talk about why out loud, that's fine. Um, we'll pray for that too.